Hi, I'm Mick Cronin and this is Watch Your Cause, a podcast in which I interview a variety of guests about a cause that is close to them, something they feel passionate about. I want to start conversations that educate, inspire and shine a light on causes around the globe that can or are having a significant social impact. But here's the kicker. Each guest will nominate the next and become a chain that will lead from my very first guest to my last and ultimate guest of season one, Barack Obama. Got your attention? Thought I might. So here we are, episode four of What's Your Cause? I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Kat Koshel and what an incredible uh, person she is um, and her story is just, you know, amazing. Um, and the work that she's doing with Kindness Factory is even more impressive as well. So you would have heard in that episode that Kat nominated uh, Seth Maxwell. So What's Your Cause has now gone overseas. So we're in the USA. So at 19 years of age, Seth Maxwell and a group of his friends went about tackling the world water crisis and he um, founded what's known as Tours Project. So I'm not going to go into that, you, you know, uh, Seth does a far better job than I do um, explaining that and articulating that. And um, We also speak in this episode about legacy youth leadership, of which he is the um, founder and CEO and that's really about developing and shaping the next young leaders. Seth is an extremely passionate person. He's doing incredible stuff in the world. Um, he's been named Forbes 30 under 30. Um, and he's also met with the Obama um, administration in the White House as well. So I'm going to leave it there. And uh, let's just jump into this episode. And uh, and with that, here's episode four with Seth Maxwell. Seth Maxwell, welcome to episode four of Watch Your Cause. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you were nominated by um, Kat Cashel, uh, and she, a uh, wonderful lady, doing an amazing thing, bringing kindness to the world one day at a time. Um, and she nominated you as a next guest. So um, I'm really happy to have you. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, and like I said, everything else, we just jumped straight into it. So, Seth, what's your cause? Yeah, well, it's actually kind of maybe what's your causes. Uh, my story starts in one place and like most people kind of goes all over and ends in another. So uh, to give you, I guess, some background and context, I- I'm 34. I live in Los Angeles and right now I am currently leading concurrently two different organizations. Uh, one I started when I was 19 called The Thirst Project, which uh, is working to end the global water crisis. And I can kind of talk more about that. But the other is Legacy Youth Leadership. And Legacy was born out of Thirst Project, actually. But our mission is to help predominantly lower income communities and uh, students from within those communities of color develop specific leadership skills. So things like communication, public speaking, organization and strategic planning, fundraising, skills they can use in their personal lives, their academic careers, but really of interest to me to make an impact on any issue or cause they care about. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of currently leading both orgs, but long term will probably start to look for my replacement at Thirst Project uh, in the next year or so and pass that baton. And at that point, you know, we'll have done that for almost 15 years. So it'll be exciting to let someone else kind of come in and break it and build it differently and see where we can go while I focus on continuing to build legacy. But um, yeah, it's exciting. And focusing a little bit just on Tours Project, where it kind of, you know, all began for you as um, I say, 19 years of age. Um, and you think, oh, you know what? 
I'll just go about trying to solve the world um, water crisis um, because that's what you do when you're 19, yeah? Every 19-year-old is just sitting there going, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, you know? And I'll pick something just probably big enough, you know, just to see if I can do that. Talk me through what, where, where that came from, why you jumped into that, um, and then we can talk about some of the, you know, some of the things you've been able to do through it. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is, you know, when you're 19, you don't know what you don't know. And so, uh, you know, I learned about the global water crisis from a friend who uh, was actually a photojournalist. And she was the first person to expose me and then educate me about what it was. And for context, if you're not familiar, you know, at, at that point in time, over 15 years ago now, there were about 1.1 billion people in the world who just didn't have access to basic, safe, clean drinking water. And, you know, it wasn't just a big number. What it really practically meant was that in communities around the world, typically women and kids would walk from their homes to whatever standing water sources were available. So in communities around the world, that looks like ponds, rivers, swamps, but open, unprotected sources that are shared with animals who drink and defecate in the same water sources that people drink from. And so consequently, people contract really easily preventable waterborne diseases, things like you know, diarrhea or dysentery. Um, but we found that you know, we could build fresh water wells, spring protection systems, rainwater harvesting systems in communities that didn't have access to safe water to bring it to people and for relatively inexpensive and, and that you know, to do so sustainably would make a really huge impact on disease, on the opportunity for people to go to school and get an education. And so when I was 19 and learned about this, I started talking to my friends. We started a group in LA aimed at just raising awareness of this issue. Uh, within about a month, we had started speaking to other friends at other schools who helped us start similar groups there. And in about a month, we had three different schools that did fundraisers and raised over $12,000, which was kind of the first time we realized there was pretty tremendous capacity in young people around this issue that really nobody was activating. And so we created the Thirst Project to do just that. There are you know, lots of great water organizations in the world. That's not particularly unique. Um, but what is unique is that Thirst Project really is the world's largest youth-led water org. So you know, this school year, we might work with you know, a couple hundred thousand high school and college students across the world um, at you know, about six to 700 campuses in any given school year who do things like walks or dances or video game tournaments specifically to raise awareness of this issue and money to build projects. Uh, and so the organization commits to give 100% of all the money that students raise uh, to funding projects. So we have a pretty incredible group of donors led by our board and sponsors who pay for all the operating expenses for the org. But since we started, those students in 14 years have helped bring about 600,000 people in 13 countries safe water. And, you know, globally, the number of people without safe water has gone from 1.1 billion to just about 700 million. So while the global population has risen dramatically, the number of people without safe water in the world has been cut by almost a third. Uh, so it is an issue we believe we will see the end of, not just in our lifetimes, maybe in the next 15, 20 years, just a question of how quickly we can kind of move that ball down the field as a global community. You make that sound easy. Right. In the sense of like, not like a 19 year old, you, you, your friends, you come together, you, you bring together some people and you start to actively, you know, look at solving this crisis. And, and then you actually have this amazing impact in there as well. 
just a question on it as well because you speak to to the you know to the obvious part where people see there's a shortage of water and there's you know waterborne diseases and so forth i could imagine there's also secondary and other layers to this that it's also helping the people that you are helping in these countries is that fair to say Oh, 100%. You know, water is really just the first component of the work that we do. And it's also kind of the most obvious thing to talk about and message. But um, while that may be true that it's the first step, it's only part of what we do. And the impact of what we do is really far reaching beyond just people not being thirsty. You know, what happens when you bring safe water into a community is you see disease rates drop dramatically. I mean, we can see like 60 70 percent uh it's pretty remarkable right because those previous waterborne diseases are easily preventable um, and it's not a question of like oh there's this crazy you know unknown outbreak as to why this happened it's sort of cause and effect um, but beyond waterborne disease rates and waterborne mortality rates you know you often see that because people have to prioritize daily work life around access to water women and kids will spend sometimes six, seven hours in a given day simply collecting water, uh, especially if you're walking maybe two to three miles from your home to a river, a pond, filling up jerry cans and walking back. I mean, one jerry can full of water weighs about 44 pounds. If you're carrying jerry cans back and forth in five gallon increments, you know, to meet all of your daily needs, it can take quite a while, which means consequently that kids often are unable to go to school or get an education simply because of the thousands of hours wasted each year just walking to get water. Similarly, you know, as you extrapolate that outwards, women often are unable to get jobs or contribute financially to their households because of the thousands of hours wasted just walking to get water. Um, you know, it turns out if you care about education and trying to develop ad education initiatives in a community, you care about water. Turns out, you know, if you care about hunger, it's really hard to develop agricultural systems uh, to combat food insecurity and hunger without water. So if you care about hunger, you care about water. Um, it really does touch every single aspect of life. When you were starting this as well, you, you're, you know, and I keep coming back to the, to the age because it's young and I, this is why I think it's amazing as well. Did you um, have any kind of resistance or anyone looking down going, go, well, what do you know? Like, you know, we, you know, we've been trying to do this for ages and then suddenly you come along with your 12 friends and, and, and you think you can, you can change it. Was there any of that or was it, was it received like, no, hey, get on board here. This is great. You've got the energy, you've got everything else. Um, you know, I think everybody's reaction is different. And to be perfectly honest, initially, people, especially those who, you know, did have uh, concern or question as to whether or not we were qualified to do the work that we do, honestly, were probably justified in asking, right? Like, we really at the beginning didn't have proof of concept. I did not study, uh, I didn't study water or community development. I'm not a water engineer. I didn't even get a degree in nonprofit management. My degree is in theater, right? I know how to tell a good story. And I think one of the reasons people initially, uh, if they trusted us, uh, did so was because I decided a long time ago not to pretend that I know things I don't know, um, which means if I tell you I know something, you should pay attention because it is so rare. But what I have done a really good job of is finding well, first of all, being really honest about the many things that I knew nothing about, finding people who were great at those things, and then doing the one thing I know how to do well, which is tell a good story, convince them to come around the table and use their skills to build what we built. So I mean, so much of 
you know, any success could be attributed, particularly to the early years of the board. I mean, our board are ballers, frankly, who are, you know, leaders in each of their industries and spaces who give not only insanely large amounts of money, but also their skill sets and acumen. And so, so much of how we structured what we do in terms of our day-to-day operations, uh, how we structured marketing and finance strategies was 100% attributed to those board members who came from different industries and business spaces who used their skills to define what that was going to look like and how we were going to operate. It wasn't because I was some brilliant marketing or business like mastermind. Uh, similarly, when it comes to water, right, like we built our water project technical board, which is a group of civil engineers and hydrogeologists, um, you know, who are leaders in their spaces, uh, who I went to and said, hey, we, we need help. We don't know anything about this, I'm, you know, a young kid at the time. Uh, you are experts at this. Will you donate your time, uh, give of yourself to create standards for sustainability and how we operate in the field and tell us what to do? Uh, and they did. And they created those practices and helped us hire local team members. And so, again, it wasn't that I had this brilliant idea or I knew, you know, today it's funny. I've since like 14 years later, spoken at like water and sanitation forums and community development forums in the like international development space. And I, you know, I know a lot now from, you know, building hundreds of water projects and working with communities and, and, you know, but I didn't again, go to school for that initially. And so I think there were definitely people early on who I would say rightly so were like, you know, what, what qualifies you to be in the space? I guess, you know, thankfully, like I said, a, I didn't know what I didn't know, meaning I didn't know I couldn't do it. And it wasn't that I thought, oh, I am so great. I can do this. But it was more so, well, it's unthinkable that we would stay here and just accept this the way it is. So I'm going to try to find the people who can do something about it and and bring them around the table and convince them to do something. And so, you know, I, I say all the time, and it's 100% true, like, I am not the Thirst Project. Like, the Thirst Project is our incredible board and our incredible Water Project Tech board and our incredible staff. and not the least of which hundreds of thousands of incredible high school and college students who give of themselves in innovative, generous, selfless ways to raise the profile of this issue and raise money to build projects. And it really only works when all of those pieces of the puzzle are in play. But yeah, I mean, in short, not only when we first started today, right? I mean, like, I think it's easy to like, look at something 14 years in and go, Oh, wow, you know, like, you can look at the highlight reel and be like, Oh, wow, you guys have helped bring 600,000 people safe water, you work with like, hundreds of 1000s of students every year. That's massive. That's amazing. It's like, yeah, that's not where we started. Like, you know, we, we started with like, you know, 10 schools the first year. And we were like, well, what if there were 100? You know, now there's like, there's Project Portugal and there's Project Indonesia and there's Project UK. And, you know, but like, that's not where we started. Uh, And so I think even today, it's important to realize, like, we hear no way more times than we hear yes. And that's just, I think, a product of the reality of the world. And not everybody resonates with everything. Not everyone can support or give. But, you know, we just keep trying and asking. And, you know, eventually you find the right people who are supposed to be there shows you that if you have passion and you um, can connect to a cause and you have that like you know kind of attitude which really says like we're gonna just look at this and give it a go and you don't get overwhelmed by what you're facing because I imagine a lot of people in the world like you know go and probably me similar go I want to help I want to do something 
but uh, I don't know how to get going on that one. So I'll just leave it to the people that are doing it. Whereas, you know, you've just said, you know what, now we're going to act on this. And I think it's a, it's an amazing example to everyone around the world, young, who are sitting there maybe going, I really feel passionate about that, but what can I do? Well, you can do something if you just, you know, are able to speak about it. And obviously you're a good storyteller and that always helps. Storytelling always helps. But if you can, you know, have a go at something, come around and try and, and rally something in there that you can have an outcome, which is fantastic. And that's where it's kind of leading me into legacy youth leadership. So can we talk a little bit about that and how that came from Tours Project and, and why and, and where, what's the, um, you know, what's the objective of that and the aim? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, there are, dozens and dozens and dozens of really great water organizations working to address the global water crisis, which is great because no one agency can possibly bring, you know, the remaining 700 million people that don't have safe water, still safe water. Um, but you know, while I still absolutely believe the global water crisis is probably the single most pressing, uh, health and human services, like humanitarian crisis we face as a global community, I also believe not only is it incredibly solvable, I, I believe we will see the end of it, at least in this format. You know, like I said, not just in our lifetimes, uh, pretty soon, 20 years is, is not a terribly long time. So what's interesting is, you know, while working to address that issue is not super unique, uh, what is and always was is that, you know, we were young and we worked with the people we knew, which was other students, young people. And in doing that for a decade, we got to know just some of the most incredible, like I said, innovative, selfless uh, young people from a whole range of different backgrounds and places. And a few years ago, I started asking our team that worked with our students a different question than I'd asked them the majority of the time we worked with them, which was, how do we raise more money from these students, right? That was always our singular goal was, how do we raise money from these students so that we can build these projects, um, which is you know, inherently noble, but I started asking instead, man, what is the value that we create in the lives of these students and, and young people? It was always very easy to point to and measure the impact the students made, right? How much money did they raise? How many water projects did we build? How many people were served? What was the reduction of waterborne disease rates over time? Those things were really easy to manage or, or measure, but we had never really tried to define or measure the impact we made in the lives of these, you know, growing numbers of students every year. But we knew we were making impact, if only for the fact that I would receive every year cards or emails from students who I had never met before. That I mean, quite literally, to quote one, said, like, thank you so much for starting Thirst Project. If it wasn't for Thirst Project, I don't know what the highlight of my senior year would have been, which is like incredibly touching. But it's also very qualitative. And what we realized as we worked with a group of social scientists here in California and asked them to study cohorts of students in our programs and point to the change that was affected in their lives. What skills were they developing? How are they growing or changing as a result of specific aspects of our programs? What we found was students, we were coaching them to become better fundraisers, which meant we were coaching them to become better communicators and public speakers. We were coaching them to, again, yes, develop the skill of raising money and fundraising, but also how to organize and match the skills of their friends or peers to different roles on a team that might organize an event. Um, there was social emotional develop development that was happening. And there were about 14 different hard and soft skills that were really important that students were developing 
as a direct result of specific aspects of our work. And we realized that, interestingly enough, the students who probably needed that support and those skills to be developed the most were probably the students that we were working with the least which would have been students from lower income communities who probably didn't have the capacity to raise very much money. Um, not that we weren't or like we're intentionally excluding working with any school populations, but we knew there is not just in the United States, in virtually every country, uh, you know, income and ethnicity, first and foremost, are unfortunately inextricably tied in almost every community. And beyond that, that students in lower income communities, at least for the United States, we know typically by the time they're sixth graders have had six times less access to these kinds of extracurricular leadership development opportunities than their middle or upper income peers and counterparts. And we were like, man, we know we're helping develop these students in ways that these are skills they can use in their future careers, in their academic lives. Um, but the students who need it the most are probably students we're not working with. And so... We also realized that those skills weren't really cause specific, right? Like we were using it to make an impact on the water crisis, but students could use these skills to make an impact on any cause or any issue they cared about. And like I said, I, I might be naive. It might be, you know, uh, a young person's idealism, but I do believe we'll see the end of the water crisis. And so what was interesting to me was, man, if we were to, number one, be intentional about developing programs to produce these results, to, you know, produce these skills and develop them in students, which at first were happening kind of just by accident as a byproduct of the work, but to really intentionally develop for or solve for that. And if we were to disproportionately target school communities that have historically not had as much access to these programs, we can make a huge impact, first and foremost, in the lives of the students and it'd be interesting to see if they could then apply those skills around other issues or causes they cared about. And that was really what gave birth to Legacy. So, you know, that's obviously a very long, complicated explanation. But in short, Legacy's mission is to build the next generation of young leaders. Um, specifically, you know, we're targeting like lower income communities, communities of color uh, who have historically not had as much access to these programs and helping them develop these skills you know, become better communicators, fundraisers, organizers that they can use in their personal lives, but also to change the world, right? In any issue or cause they care about. Um, and even that is very broad. You might go like, well, okay, how do you do that? Uh, so we really have two primary programs that we run that accomplish that. The first is our leadership program. The second is our speaker program. Uh, each of those programs, when I say program, right? If you're familiar with Masterclass, I hate the analogy because it's not perfect, but it's sort of a, a crude analogy. It's sort of like masterclass for helping students develop these skills of leading. So the programs are built to be part digital in that they're part uh, pre-record video lessons and content and activities and, uh, you know, a progression that students move through different modules that's all housed in a platform where they can interact with students in their cohort. But they're also half live sessions. So whether that is live virtually or live in person when we run the programs at schools in person, student groups as cohorts go through these four-week programs and develop these skills. And then on the other side of those programs, they apply those skills by taking action around whatever cause or issue they care about. So the leadership program, for example, is organized into four tracks. 
time, money, voice, and vote? How do you use your time, your money, your voice, or your vote to change the outcome of an issue that you care about, any issue? We're pretty fiercely apolitical. So it's uh, it's not, hey, this is who you should vote for, what party, how, what kind of legislation. Um, but even just realizing, you know, do you realize most high school students, college students, probably don't even think about voting or think of it as something that is a thing they can do when they are, you know, graduated high school or, you know, adults. But the reality is all of us make votes or cast our voice for votes every day. When you're in a car and you're trying to figure out with a group of friends what restaurant you want to eat at, you are essentially voting for the thing you want to do for. Uh, if you are at a school, even as a high school student, there are school elections you can vote in. So getting students to begin to realize their ability to participate in shaping their communities and systems with that as a tool is really important. Um, but again, fiercely apolitical, uh, nonpartisan. But uh, as I said, it's been really interesting to see as students move through these and take action, uh, what the impact has been, not just in you know the causes they're supporting, but in their lives specifically. It's a lot to be said, isn't it, about, you know, I suppose, you know, getting young people to be able to even believe in other things, but also believe in themselves. And I'd imagine you're giving them a lot of confidence as well, because, People don't know how to connect to things because sometimes they just don't know how to believe in things. And it's very simple to say that, but um, it sounds like you're doing that um, incredibly as well. What's some of the numbers that you do? Like, What's the kind of like reach that you have on this at the moment? Yeah, so Legacy is much newer and uh, admittedly much smaller than you know the scope of the student population we work with uh, compared to Thirst Project. We're not working with hundreds of thousands or even at this point, tens of thousands of students. We'll probably put about three to 4,000 students this school year through our leadership and speaking programs. But just to give you some, I guess, context on what that looks like, uh, on the other side of that, students may choose to raise awareness for a cause they care about, may choose to raise money for a cause they care about, try to uh, rally people by perhaps registering them to vote or uh, you know, taking action around a, a piece of legislation they really care about. What's been really fascinating, and it's interesting because money was one of the things that we wanted to kind of shy away from as a metric for success, because again, our goal is not to raise money from students, right? Like we don't charge schools or students to go through our programs. Uh, it's totally free for them. But even in working disproportionately with predominantly lower income schools and communities, what we found is we are actually raising four different causes about 2.3x the amount of money it costs us to run those programs. So for every dollar we spend on those school programs, the students who go through them, when they take action around supporting things like Thirst Project or uh, maybe climate change initiatives or gender or racial justice you know, equality initiatives, uh, students are raising $2.30 for every dollar we spend on those programs, which again is like, it's a weird stack because it's an easy thing to point to and go, oh, wow, that's amazing. Uh, but again, fundraising is not like the only skill nor measurement for success but it is really interesting um and you know i think for us right we just uh, over a decade plus of working with all these students we realized man like the the world that our students are a part of the reality of their day-to-day lives is pretty dramatic right like from a mental health perspective even I mean, in america suicide is still the second leading cause of death for young Americans between the age of 10 to 23, which is just staggering, right? Uh, We know that 6.3 million young people, uh, I think between three to 17 in the US, suffer from anxiety or depression. And again, I already talked about how like children from low income families are multiple times less likely to participate in programs like this. But the counter to all those things is that we also know that 
young people who participate in these kinds of extracurricular and leadership training programs are 90% less likely to struggle with suicide or suicidal thoughts. Uh, we know that students who volunteer up to like 10 hours in a week or even month are much less likely, like self-identify as much less likely to feel depressed than those who don't. Uh, from a future cast perspective, we know that obviously the majority of colleges state that these kinds of programs are an important determining factor in their admission process. And so, you know, the, the impact numbers in terms of how many students are we serving, what are they doing for causes is really interesting, right? Like students have now, uh, now that we've done this for several years, uh, students have said, yes, we care about the water crisis. We also really care about climate change. We also really care about gender equality, racial justice and equity. And so we've found groups like Thirst Project who are taking action in those spaces that we can kind of direct students to go support. But uh, it's been really cool. Like I said, as we align around our mission, we're really clear that we love that students are making a positive impact in the world. But for us as an organization, our mission is in fact the student. You should be really proud of that like walk. It's so exciting. Just listen to you talking about it, your passion for it um, and what you're trying to do. And you just you're just enabling these young people, you're just giving them the platform to be able to go out and, and take on whatever they want to take on, you know, um, and be fearless in it some ways, but have the, the tools and the confidence to, to, to be able to do it. And um, before we wrap up, what's next for you? Because you seem like you're a person who doesn't, uh, doesn't sit in these laurels. I would imagine you've got a few things that you want to do, but what's, what's the next steps for, um, for, for you, Seth? Yeah, we've been slowly uh, acclimating people who are kind of in the Thirst Project world, right? Because they are two different organizations. Um, we've been slowly, I think, getting them comfortable with the reality that I, I am going to be passing the baton. Um, I, you know, I am not unaware of the fact that there's just no way I can possibly be giving my best to each org right now. And so uh, we have begun the search process. Uh, and so the hope is I'll, I'll give a full year to train whoever we hire and make sure that they are well supported and introduced to all of our major stakeholders. And then my hope is by the end of next year, 2023, I will be able to focus uh, 100% of my effort on building legacy, but legacy is only really four years old. And so while it's exciting, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about, okay, how do we go from serving three to 4,000 students this year to 10,000 students in two or three years? Um, you know, we know there is not just because we think it's great. Like we've just got so much feedback from schools and education partners and teachers that, man, like we want these programs. Uh, so for us, it's just a question of like, how do we scale up? How do we serve more students? Um, like I said, we, we don't charge schools or students to, to run the programs. And so for me, uh, it isn't a question of like getting out of necessarily both of those orgs. I, I am going to, uh, to pass the baton at thirst. And then I've, I've got at least, I would say five, six, seven more years probably of, wanting to really get my hands dirty and, and build legacy. And then I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I don't know. I used to, if you'd asked me this question like four years ago, uh, what's funny is legacy didn't exist at that point, but I had a very specific answer and I was like, oh, I know I'm going to do this and this and this. And now I, I know for sure where I'll be for the next probably five, six, maybe seven years. I'm not sure after that. Oh, well, that's okay. It seems like you're comfortable with that. And that's, that's good, you know, and um, I'm sure as, you know, um, legacy leadership, you know, came into your, into your mind and, and into the realization of, you know, starting an implementation, there's something else that's probably sitting there that will, uh, in them four years, five years, six years, will I'm sure will come to the to forefront and, you know, you can, you can, you know, drive that one as well. Um, mate, I'm so thankful to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Before we go, basically, how this podcast works, which um, which we talked to you a little bit off air beforehand, is that 
it's all about connecting the next person for me to talk about the next cause that's out there that we can, you know, I can share as well. So um, you don't have to give me a name now. You don't have to, you know, if you have one, it's great. But um, but really what I'm looking for is who is the person that you can connect and, and become the next guest on what's your cause. Um, and that can be anywhere in the world, anyone you want and for any cause you want, because that's the beauty of it. I don't know a lot about what happens at a co- when, when people nominate the people or the next guest. I think that's um, that's a bit of the gold as well because um, we can share that with um, with the listeners and, and really shine a light on some amazing work being done across the globe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I do have a couple people, uh, and so I want to, rather than say it in case one of them doesn't work out, I'll uh, I'll do the email intro and see where we go. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about what you're doing. You know, I so appreciate you shining a light on the work that everybody out here is doing and uh, excited to see what kind of impact we can make. Yeah, and uh, we'll just be one step closer to Barack. So that's the end goal of it. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how long that that takes. But the the beauty of it is we're going to share some amazing stories along the way. Seth, thank you um, for everything you're doing um, in the world. It's incredible. Thank you for everything that you're doing. For a person who works with young people as well, thank you for everything that you're doing in that space as well. I'm so excited to see um, what comes from this and where it goes, and and the and the amazing people that you are helping to uh, be the next drivers across the world on an amazing causes um as well so have a great day and um yeah i'll I'll look forward to talking to you again um sometime sometime down the line yeah thank you so much for having me really appreciate it no problem thanks mate if you enjoyed listening to this podcast please subscribe and share if you want to follow me on instagram or on twitter you will see the handles in the show notes this podcast was produced and edited by mick cronin Thanks, mate.